Blog Talk Radio. Last night I saw a lunar eclipse in the sky. Then something happened in my mind inside. I saw you in a whole different I want you to stay right here with me for the next hour. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red. And those of you who've been Bonnie hair-watching, washing, watching, Alma's the one who does the washing, I shorn myself kind of short this weekend. I decided enough with the long hair. Summer is coming, so we're short and bouncy now. Maybe that's what describes me the best. I'm here. I'd love for you to stay with me for the next hour. I call this, this little corner of the world, Read My Lips. And you know you're going to have to listen very carefully to read my lips. I have two exciting guests on. I didn't pick them because of commonality of topic. It just happened that way. We're going to be talking about defining your goals, your success. How do you see yourself? How do you plan your life? How do you discipline yourself? Goals, definition, achievement, whether it's in business, personal life, marriage. I'll tell you in a second about my guests, but I do want to do a shout-out to all the wonderful people I met about three weeks ago at the National Publicity Summit at in New York City at the Penn Hotel, courtesy of Steve Harrison and Friends, etc., etc., his wonderful organization at RTIR. Bradley Communications and Radio TV Interview Report. And my two guests tonight are two of the new crop, I'll call them the new class, and they are classy, of people I met. I booked four and a half months of guests. I think 45 people were booked in two and a half hours, and my guests tonight are the first one, so I'm very excited to welcome them, the new class of Bradley Communications. This is going to be great. Let me tell you about who we're going to be talking with tonight. David G. Cartwright. He has such a charming accent. you just got to stick around and listen to this guy. Achiever Fever is his book. Those of you old enough to know what a renaissance man is will tell you why David calls himself a renaissance man. But most important, think about this. Boy growing up, crowded house, father on disability, check doesn't stretch to meet the bills every month. OMG, what are you going to do? Well, he goes out and reads and studies and learns and models his success on the success of others. Fast forward, age 35, David is managing a $194,000 million, million dollar budget, he's going to tell us, that takes care of Air Force One, the President of the United States' super jet. How does it come in? How does it come out? How does it service all of the dignitaries? He was in charge of that budget, the housing for Air Force One. You have to meet and listen to David's story, and along the way you'll find out his tips and tricks and secrets for success. His book, again, is Achiever Fever. Then the second half, oh, be still my heart. This lady is lovely. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. Her name is Barry, B-A-R-I, Lyman, and she created a method called Meet to Marry. Okay, girls and boys, are you tired of too many dates going nowhere, uh-huh, getting dressed up for the wrong reasons, meeting the wrong people, hanging out with the wrong guys and gals? Barry has a plan, a method. It works. Very interesting. Also goal-oriented and definition-oriented. What are your roadblocks? What are your hang-ups? What are the issues in you that are preventing you from meeting the one? Barry says you can do it in one year if you follow her method. Sounds revolutionary and evolutionary to me. So we'll be meeting Barry in the second half of the show. Let me give you a couple shout-outs. Hello to my beautiful Lorna, my Dune. Mr. Monk, my Kaylee, I hope you're feeling better, my big kahuna, Tag the Artist, my dancer, my violinist, and of course Dr. Pepper, and hello to all my dance friends, and Lenny missed you last week, but I was away, uh-huh. Okay, let's do some birthdays here, May 20th is today, Buster Rhymes, the rapper, was born today in 1972, still a baby, Bronson Pinchot was born, let's bring that back, 1959. Ronald Prescott Reagan, the son of former President Ronald Reagan, was born today in 1958. How about Joe Cocker, the songwriter? You are so beautiful. Let me see if I recognize any other names here. We have um, George Goble, the comedian, born in 1920 today. Jimmy Stewart, the actor, in 1908. John Stewart Mill, leader of the Utilitarian 
hmm, movement, 1806. And those of you who studied French literature, 1799, the birth date of Honoré de Balzac, the French novelist. Quick word about movies. I think I told you last week I saw The Great Gatsby, Rain Man, and You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger. On TV, I did a marathon over the weekend and saw The Town with Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner. Interesting about a, come some diehard criminals whose strings are being pulled by some other diehard criminals and how they just rip up Boston and Charlestown. Gunfights and drugs and, oh, my God, car crashes. Surprise ending. See if you can find it on TV. The Town with Ben Affleck. Enough about me. Let's turn to my first guest. I want to know how I can get Achiever Fever. David G. Cartwright, welcome to Read My Lips. How are you, David? Hello, Bonnie. I'm doing great, and I appreciate you having me on the show. And your My your cause pleasure. here, helping others, is is really noble. I appreciate you uh, doing that for the folks out there. Well, not too many people have called me noble, so I appreciate that, David. But thank you. <laughs> I want you to talk up a little bit louder, a little closer to your your speaker there, because I'm having a little trouble hearing you just a little louder. Now, David, Achiever Fever, Renaissance Man. I said a lot. I threw a lot of words around when I was introducing you in the beginning of the show. So tell me, Achiever Fever is a very interesting, motivational, hot, I like the word fever, hot title for a book. What's the fever you want people to catch? And then we'll dial back and talk about your story. So, David, what's your, what's your purpose? What's your noble purpose with your book? You know, uh, a lot of people helped me out over the years when I was coming up from a young boy all the way to today. And I wanted to give something back to the folks out there. I know right now there's a lot of people hurting uh, their, their job situations, their family situations. So I really put the book out to try to help others like I was helped myself. Well, I appreciate that, and I want to tell everybody that your book isn't just rah-rah for success. It's about how to do it, everything from grooming to writing a plan to having your strengths and weaknesses to talking about icons who may you may or may not know in terms of uh, modeling yourself along the way and hard work about family, about nutrition, about sleep. David covers it all. It's really a handbook for life, David. Can I say that? Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's uh, it's about... 15 steps from the very beginning, the first chapter is on motivation. And that's basically the basics of what will motivate you to go in the directions that you would like to go in. And you go all the way up the mountain, step by step, and when you get to the top, the realization mode is where you'll be. You'll be smiling, looking down at all of the things that you had to do to get to where you are today when you've reached your goals, and you will be satisfied. David, with your permission, I'm going to read the steps on the mountain. May I read the the journey from the bottom to the top? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. All right. We start with motivation, as David said. You're listening to David Cartwright today on my show. Motivation and activation, inspiration, very, very important world. What inspires you? How do you get inspired to keep going? Education, I mentioned a big thing for David. He learned along the way. Preparation, you've got to know what you're doing and be prepared to get there. Concentration, I assume that's the same as focus, yes. Validation, we all want to know at some point we're doing something right. How do we validate ourselves and get others to validate us? Communication, you've got to speak up. Cooperation, yep, you can't be a one-man or one-woman show all the time. Got to play in the sandbox. Nutrition, we mentioned, eat right, sleep right, take care of your machine, your engine, which is your body. Competition, okay, you're going to come up against at one point or another in your life or very often. Recreation, that part about resting, giving your mind a rest, R&R, giving your body a rest and not working all the time. Transformation, a big step. Contribution, and of course, as David mentioned, at the top of the mountain of achievement is realization. David, tell me something. I want to uh, I want to pick up a quote here in your book on page 156. I don't know if you have the same page as I do, but... You're talking about the richest family man in the world. People are probably thinking, well, I want to achieve, I want to be like David, I want to have a really great job, a good income, take care of myself, my family. I don't think too, people have, too many people know who Carlos Slim Helu is. Can you tell us a little bit about him, please, and how you found out about him? Yes, um, I checked the Forbes 400, the top richest people in the country. That magazine comes out once a year. And that's a, it's a good guideline as to what a lot of people are doing. And Carlos Slim, he sits at the top. He is actually the richest man in the world. He's uh, right in front of Bill Gates. I think Bill Gates is number two. So 
Uh, in the book, I describe a little bit about how uh, Larry King on the CNN show, he used to have that Larry King live show, mm-hmm. uh, had an interview and, and found out that Carlos is really a down-to-earth type of guy. And you don't have to be a, a stuck-up, um, you know, bad attitude type person. And in terms of how you can deal with people and deal with your family members, you can be a nice guy and still have a lot of money, according to Carlos. And, and that was a really nice interview. If anybody gets a chance to look at it, it's on YouTube. Very cool. And I also want to bring out what you mentioned in the book, which was very interesting to me, David. You mentioned that Carlos said family is the most important thing. And everybody listening, he had three sons and three daughters throughout his marriage. I don't know how long he was married or how old he was at the time that this interview occurred. The boys slept in one bedroom. The girls slept in another The boys had one bathroom to share among the three of them, and the girls had one to share. And the setup was intentional, even though the family obviously had resources to sleep in separate rooms with many more bathrooms at their disposal. He wanted to keep the children close and let them learn how to support and love each other. Very interesting life lesson. Do you agree with that, David Cartwright? I'd say it's very important. The first I, first and foremost is to be able to work with your family members because those are the people that you'll depend on, especially when you're younger. So if people can work together and help each other throughout the growing up process, that will really set a strong foundation, you know, for the other things that you'll have to deal with as you get on older. Yeah, I can tell a little story here. When yes, I had my, my first significant emotional event, I think that, kind of turned my life around was when I was 12 years old. I was riding around with my father one day. It was lunchtime and looking for a sandwich. Excuse me. And yep. we passed one place, and I said, hey, Dad, let's stop here. He said, no, we can't stop there. I said, why not? We stopped here all the time last month. He said, oh, I owe them money. So we drove to another place, and I said, hey, we can stop here. No, nope, <laughs> couldn't stop there either. He owed them money. So by the time we went past four different places, I figured out that I needed to start making my own money. So that's Mm -hmm. what I did. I I pretty much stepped up and got a job as a newspaper carrier and was cutting some grass. And that's what a lot of kids today could do. You know, they could go down their street and pick one or two of the neighbors and help them, you know, cut their grass. And it would really make a difference in their, you know, pocket money. David, you know, I, when I was growing up, I was one of the kids who used to go offer to shovel snow for the older elder, elderly neighbors, people who lived nearby. I didn't charge for it, even if they threw me a couple bucks. But I just liked snow and being outside. I grew up on, on Long, in Long Island in a in a reasonably affluent but not wealthy, not wealthy wealthy neighborhood, and it was just fun. But invariably, the doorbell would ring, and my my dad would say, "Who is it?" And it was a couple of boys with big hefty shovels who, for a price, would <laughs> shovel the snow was great. I hear from people today, David, that it's almost impossible unless you hire a service to get anybody's kids to come out and say, I want to shovel your law, I want to shovel your walk, shovel your driveway. It's just not being done, at least not in this part of New York. And I'm I think you're right. They're they're getting back to basics. I don't know they charge a fortune today to do it, the kids who do bother to do it. But it certainly is it's kind of humble work. And speaking of humble work I want to bring up two points I'd like you to uh, expand on, please, David Cartwright. Number one is, what is the correct budget number? Was it $194 million for you to manage? What did you manage for Air Force One? That's the first question. Second question is, I believe from your book you said after 12 years working for the U.S. government and Air Force, you were laid off, and you decided to drive a limo for a living in D.C. and L.A., and you met amazing people. So let's start with the budget for Air Force One. What did you actually do for Air Force One? Come and give us a great story. Well, there was a, a job opening that I saw on the computer, and it, it had to be uh, managing the annual budget, and the title of the job was budget officer, and it turned out to be $194 million dollars. Ah, for the first wow. year that I was in that position. So basically that money covered all of the expenses to run Andrews Air Force Base, which is where the president's plane is housed and flies in and out of, along with a lot of the dignitaries around the world. It was a very exciting position when I was able to get it. And working with the people in the Washington, D.C. area, of course, it was a, a whole new level from the area that I had grown up in. So I was I was really happy about that, and I knew that it would be good for the career. 
But when when they had some downsizing, they were looking around for people to, you know, trim the budget down. And the middle management, which kind of was the area I was in, was mm-hmm. one of the prime targets. So I ended up losing my position there. And I said, well, you know, I could do something different now. I'm free to do what I want to. Well, in the Washington, D.C. area, you have a lot of the dignitaries riding around in the limousines. And I said, hey, sure. that might be exciting. So I started there for about six months doing that. Then I decided to go back out to Los Angeles, California, where I had been in the Air Force and for a four-year period. And it was really exciting there, meeting all the people in the movie industry, the music industry. This, you can name all the big names pretty much that were coming through and, and you know, trying to have their concerts and, and going out to the movie sets. And I just got a, an inside look at, at that lifestyle. And it was, it was exciting. But what you really find out about those people is they're regular people. They're nice people. They just have a, a different type of a job than you do. And you just work with them and, and you know, they're really nice. So I enjoyed that part. That's amazing. Now, now I'm I'm imagining our listeners today and the ones who will listen once the podcast is up a few minutes after the show, David, are saying, what? He went from managing a $194 million budget for Air Force One at Andrews Air Force Base. Huge job, enviable, probably a hell of a lot of work, enviable, I meant to say. And then he was driving a limo. What about, where did self-esteem come from? Did you have any problem with saying, God, I'm driving a car, it's nice and fun, and I'm meeting cool people, and boy, well, I have stories to tell someday, but... But what am I doing? Did you ever have that looking in the mirror or the rearview mirror, perhaps, David, and saying, what the heck am I doing here? Really? (laughs) You know, on occasion I did. But I was having so much fun. And, you know, life is about having fun while you're making money at the same time. So what I ended up doing is telling people that I was enjoying the work. When they said, what are you doing, you know, with your background in education? I said, you know, it's fun to do something that you like to do every once in a while. So I said, I won't do this forever, but for this period of time, it was good. And after three years, I did decide to go back into the military, and I was able to finish out my career, get my you know, total number of years, and by the age of 49, I was pretty much set. I didn't have to work anymore. So it, it worked out pretty good for me. Wow. And, and I'm looking at your bio here, David. 35 years old was the age when you got the job managing the budget for Andrews Air Force Base. That seems very young to me. From the time growing up where you had to go to work and mow lawns or shovel snow or whatever to pay for sandwiches for yourself and probably your dad and siblings, to 35, that's a very short time in a lifespan to acquire the skills, the confidence, the connections, the trust, the savvy to do a job like that i'd like to know what advice would you give people if somebody has a i call that a star path david somebody wants to really be a star and i don't mean movie star hollywood star on stage carnegie hall big movie screen i mean a star in whatever they choose where it's big time where it's significant work that's a a basically a game-changer type of a job, a high-level job. 35 seems very young to me. What's your advice to anybody who wants to aspire to that kind of achievement at that early age, David Cartwright? I'd say the number one thing would be to do what others are not willing to do, and you will get paid. Not only will you get paid, but you'll be recognized as a go-getter, a can-do type person. And when a, a supervisor or a boss is looking for a job to get done, they're not necessarily looking for somebody who's going to say yes, this, yes, that. They want somebody to tell them, okay, I'll be willing to do this if we have to do it this way, but I'd like to try to do it this way. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is, do what the boss wants you to do, not what you want to do. That may be hard to take sometimes, but believe me, it pays off in the long run, big time. I think you're right, knowing corporations as well as I do and as well as you do. I think you're absolutely right. Now, David, I'd like to go through early in your book, page 17, you have a self-assessment checklist. And this is something uh, Barry Lyman, our second-half guest, and we'll be meeting her in about – Barry, I'm putting on on notice here, 11 minutes there. Uh, Barry has a lot of checklists and self-assessments in her book as well. That's another thing you two authors have in common. You have a self-assessment checklist. Assess your current and desired circumstances i like the word circumstances so david 
Let's go through this a little bit, as much time as we have. And I, I found these questions very compelling. May I read the question and you'll tell why you included that question? Is that okay? Go ahead, Bonnie, sure. Okay, thank you. The first question is, do you want to change anything in your life, yes or no, or explain? What was your goal in making that the first one in the self-assessment checklist, David? You know, the number one thing that we have to look at is, are we satisfied with where we are? And I'd say 99% of the people here in life are not really satisfied with all areas of their life. So you want to identify one or two things. The book covers all the areas of life pretty much. Mm -hmm. You may be good in most of those areas, but there might be a couple of areas that you want to change. So that's why I put that right up front. Okay, well, that's very, very expansive. So your suggestion is to just come up with one or two things in your explanation. Good, that's good focus. Number two, question, do you have written goals for the future? Now, honestly, David, how many people have you met who would answer yes to that? <laughs> well, we know a lot of people like to talk about their goals and what they want to do, but when it comes to writing them down, uh, it is pretty difficult to get people to actually follow through and write them down. But these days... With those dry eraser boards, with calendars, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's pretty simple just to pull out a pen and write something down. If it's a short-term goal, you know, it'll make it easier to see, focus on it, and, you know, you can just see it in, in a high-visibility area, like in your office or in the bathroom or in the kitchen, places like that. And that will really help you to focus. And I think uh, an expansion of that would be a vision board. I believe Barry Lyman, our next guest, calls it a dream board, and that's another commonality you two have. Now, the next one is, are you happy with your current home life? Boy, that seems like a minefield question, David. Why would you put that in there so close to the top? <laughs> well, most people these days are having some type of issues, you know, meeting the bills um, with relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of times it's a husband and wife or it could be the kids in school. But the home life is, is like I said earlier, the main focus. That's where you want to build a strong foundation and support each other in the home. If it's someone uh, needing to go out and, and make some more money to make the bills, then that's key. People need to work together on different schedules. We know it's not that easy to get the 9 to 5 Monday through Friday job these days. So people have to work together. Okay, number four. This is an interesting one. Do you enjoy the neighborhood where you live? That's a very interesting question. I think we all know that I believe two of the biggest expenses in life, one would be where you live, another one for most people would be their automobile, getting more climbing up there on the list. Uh, a home is really expensive today, whether you buy, whether you rent, whether it's a condo, co-op, it's a shack, it's a mansion, it's it's one of our biggest expenses ever in a lifetime. So when you say, do you enjoy the neighborhood where you live, I believe that's a loaded question. You mean the house, the block, the part of the block, the neighbors? <laughs> what do you, what, that sounds like a really loaded question. What are you thinking, David? You know, there there are several aspects of a neighborhood that you would consider, but when people talk about, you know, I sure would like to move. I, I want to get out of this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's usually it's usually um, a dangerous situation, or maybe it's a neighborhood that the people don't keep up their yards. But what I'm trying to do is, as part of this overall mission to get this book out there, is maybe help the people that don't have the opportunity to move from the neighborhood that they're in to make the best of the neighborhood that they're in right now. And mm -hmm. expanding on that, you know, if they clean up their yard, take care of their yard, then the other neighbors, when they see that type of thing, it kind of spreads. You know, they feel like, hey, the Joneses are doing it, so maybe we need to do it. And, and that neighborhood, it's a, it's a tough situation for people who don't have enough money to relocate. So they really have to look at that and, and make the best of what they have until they can do better. Yeah, good point. That's, a lot of it, I think, comes down to attitude and doing what you can and, and talking, talking, communicating with your neighbors. The next one, uh, what we're going to do this one quickly, is if you're in a school or college, are you satisfied there? That's a tough one, especially if someone else is paying your bills. But uh, probably I imagine your answer to that would be similar to neighborhood. If you can't do anything about it, how are you going to find satisfaction or happiness in wherever you are? Sixth one, are you happy with your paycheck or income from business? Is anybody ever say yes to that, David, please? 
Ever? Yeah, there's a few people, not not too often, you know, people do like to make more money. And if they're doing a good job, you know, they feel like they want to get a promotion and they deserve more money. But you have to look at the limitations of the organizations that you're working for. And also if you own your own business, you know, there's uh, some limitations as far as how much sales you can bring in. But when it gets down to it, you have to make that money, then manage it. It's one thing to make it, but it's another thing not to spend it all. The way to get ahead, really, is to always have enough money left at the end of the month. You don't want to run out because, like I was telling you, when I was 12 years old, if you owe people here, you owe people there, you're going to come up short, and it's going to cause a lot of pressure, not only as an individual but within the family. Yep. And speaking of family, let's go to question number seven. We have a few more. Oh, five more minutes before Barry. Barry, you got a five-minute bell. Ding, 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 ding. That's one for each of the five minutes. Okay, number seven, are you satisfied with your personal relationships? Is this different from your current home life? Question number three, David, what was the intention of this one? Well, the personal relationships are more like a boyfriend, girlfriend, or people that you uh, have as friends, maybe in your neighborhood or people that you've gone to school with. If you have one or two good, solid friends that you can depend on them for this and they can depend on you for that, that that's really important. When I was growing up, you know, the fact that we didn't have much money, it kind of uh, cut us out from being in certain groups of people. But we had mm-hmm. one or two good friends down the street. You know, we mm-hmm. played sports with them, played basketball in the backyard, and then we also played on the baseball team. So we made a few friends there as well. I'm talking about me and my brother and, and some of the other uh, folks in the family. But it, bottom line is one or two good friends will help you get through so many different challenges and adversities in life, and it will develop your confidence, you know, to be able to deal with other people. Sure. Very, very important. And let's breeze through the last three questions. One is do you number eight, do you like your job and the people you work with? I think we've covered that at least tangentially in terms of are you happy with your paycheck income and and personal relationships there's probably some overlap there number eight are you satisfied with your current means of transportation aha 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 you want people to get a new car david (laughs) uh actually not really uh you know i I think i've gone through life without buying one new car i bought some cars that were almost new but not all the way new and that's a, a good way to uh, manage your money better. If you're going out and buying the new cars, as soon as you drive the car off, they say about 20% that's right. of, of the value drops off. And, and that's not that's not good money management from uh, most people's perspective if they manage their money properly. So I was, you know, I was fortunate when I was 16 to be able to buy my own car. Now, it only cost $400, and I mm-hmm. paid for it with money from my grocery store job, but... It was enough transportation for two or three years to get me through to the next level, and that's what a lot of people could do. Yep, good point. I, I will second the emotion there. I have bought most of my cars used. I buy mid-level, mid to mid-high-level sports cars the past 20 years, and I'm not adverse to getting something. Once I got a car that was almost 50,000 miles, but it was in mint condition, non-smoker, one previous owner, and I had it inspected. I had one of those mobile inspectors come out and take a look at it, make sure the dealer wasn't shafting me. I loved that car, drove it for years, put lots of mileage in it, just did another one. I'm driving the sports car of my dreams right now, a little two-seater leather uh, convertible. It's just adorable. I couldn't believe I was going to put myself at the stage in a two-seater, and I love it. And, you know, it took me six months to find it, David. I had several dealers on the lookout for me. They kept calling me. I can show you this. I said, no, you know what my goal is, get me the car. And one day the call came, get here now. It's five minutes away. I drove. The car was in soap suds in the back of the garage at the dealer getting ready to go on the the used car lot. I said, don't you dare show that to anybody else. I went in, did the deal, and wrote the check right then and there. I had waited six months for that car, probably years, and I love it to pieces. So there you go. Used cars can really rock. You just have to pick the right ones, right? That's and it. Yeah, you, the you last definitely question want to check them out. 
Yep, that's right. And the last question, oh, I had several people check this one out. Can you improve on any of the areas above, yes or no, or explain? Let's see, we have one minute till we bring Barry in. I think we pretty much covered that. David, what of the steps, quickly, if you don't mind, of the steps in the mountain, of these 15 steps, what's the step on the climbing the mountain of achievement one step at a time, David Cartwright? What's your favorite step you think is the most important of all? I think the most important one is the education. Oh, education. The reason the reason I'm looking at education is that is pretty much the foundation of what you're going to be using to make decisions in life. If you you've seen some of the kids have trouble with mathematics or or the English lessons or whatever, mm-hmm. when, when they're struggling like that, they're going to have those kinds of problems throughout unless they get the basic foundations down pat. And one way they can do that, just a lot of families out there have trouble with one or two subjects, you know, with their students. It's right. Find some classmates that are good in those areas and make friends with those guys <clears throat> or gals and have them come over and, you know, share homework, work together here and there. And it makes a difference because it gives uh, the kids a level of confidence if they have a friend that's willing to help them out. Very uh, very so, important. I agree, and it's time for us to introduce Barry in just a second, but I have to give you a website because I always do that. I'm going to spell it, Achiever Fever. I love long URLs. I'll spell it for anybody who doesn't know whether the I comes before the E. Listen up, kids. It's A-C-H-I-E-V-E-R. That's Achiever Fever, S-E-V-E-R. Put them all together. You get A-C-H-I-E-V-E-R-F-E-V-E-R.com. You'll see a picture of the handsome David enthusiastically wearing his Achiever I think it's an Achiever Fever T-shirt. You'll see a picture of the book cover, which is a man standing on a cliff with this wonderful red sunset in the background. And you will read all about David. You can buy the book, read his blog, read about his events. And I know David's going to post a link to the show on his website right after the show tonight. So, David, did I do that right? Thanks a lot, Bonnie. That was great. Good. Okay. Don't go away now. I want you, my pleasure, I want you to help me welcome. I'm going to click the little button here on the Barry, you're warned now. I've just clicked Barry's line open. And David G. Cartwright, together with Bonnie, you're going to say, welcome Barry Lyman on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. Welcome. Welcome, Barry. Barry Lyman. Not bad. Hi, Barry. Welcome. It's the Bonnie and David Show. How are you? <laughs> Hi Bonnie, how are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. I know you. I, I said in the intro there's some overlaps in your method and David's method. So Barry, I'd love for you to ask David some questions, make some comments briefly, and then we will deep dive into Meet to Marry. So it's your turn to talk to David for just a minute, please. Okay. Well, what I wanted to say is I appreciate David. <clears throat> excuse me that he's. <clears throat> excuse me that he's such a winner. You know, he's personally overcome adversity. And he's making he made lemons out of lemonade. He made, and he's been so successful in his life, and he's making a difference, helping other people through his book and his work. So I love that. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. David, what is your favorite success story, would you say, of people who've read your book? What do you think? Who have you, who's been inspired the most? What's a, what's a, who is someone that, was, like, that stands out? There was one of the people that I grew up with. He was about two houses down. His name was Billy. He was yeah. he was uh, a little bit different than most kids. The first time I met him, he talked a little different. And some people were making fun of him, some of the kids around the playground. And I figured out that the reason he was talking different is because he was deaf. Oh, but the amazing man. thing was... He was deaf, but he was so smart, and he was able to do things that other kids could not do. He oh. worked different jobs as he was growing up. He was able to play sports, and by the time he got to be a man, he had accomplished so much and, and was able to have a successful career. Wonderful. That's inspiring. Barry, thank you for asking David that question. I wish I had asked it of him. That's a great question. David, thanks for the answer. And you know what, kids? Now it's time to focus on a different kind of making a difference because Barry Lyman helps people find the one 
who want to get married, define why they want to get married, find the right one, and not waste a lot of time in Barry's method, the Meet to Marry program. Here's the mantra from Barry Lyman. The one, to find the one, you need to be the one. So, Barry, why don't you give us a little personal background rather than having me read your bio. How did you create this program? Why did you create this program? And what's your overall message before we start deep diving into your, your method, please? Oh, great, Bonnie, sure. Well, I myself walked in the shoes of the singles that I coach. I was formerly relationship challenged. (laughs) My whole Mm -hmm. life, from the very beginning, the first relationship, I always attracted people that were not right for me. It was mystery dating, I like to call it, very superficial. Mm -hmm. And I always felt the same way over and over again from from the first person. And then I continued on that road until I personally had a breakthrough. And I realized that it was me attracting all of those wrong people. So it really wasn't them. It was me not knowing what I needed, not knowing myself. So once I had this breakthrough that set me on a path of personally transforming myself, and it was through that transformation and that learning that I created my Meet to Marry method, And ultimately, thank God, I met my husband, and we've been married almost nine years. Oh, wonderful. It's it's just wonderful. Being married is just amazing. And I created this, and I wrote my book to help all of the singles out there who are struggling, and there are a lot of singles struggling. Millions and millions. Now, Barry, I have a couple of questions. Number one, is your book mostly focused on helping women or men or both? Oh, my goodness. No, it's for both. It's for men and women, both men and women who want to find love and want to have the relationship forever. Yep, both. Okay. And now, can you have a relationship forever without the benefit of marriage? So is this definitely for people who want to tie the knot, walk down the aisle? What do you say? Well, it's more about, you know, we call it marriage, but it's really about a lifetime commitment of growth and having someone who's going to be there for you through the good times and the bad times. Yes. So yes. really people want that connection. They they want to be together forever. And I think a lot of people don't maybe call it marriage, maybe because things that have happened in the past. But the people that are attracted to my work, yeah, they, they definitely, they want to get married. Okay. Now I want to talk about blind spots. Blind spots and issues and breakthroughs. And I know, as as you said, as I said in the beginning, to find the one, you need to be the one. I'm going to read, yes. with your permission, the warning signs of a blind spot. May I read that, Barry? Because I think a lot of people Absolutely. listening will identify with this very quickly and know exactly what we're talking about. Okay. Absolutely. So, Barry Lyman, in her book, Meet to Marry, A Dating Revelation for the Marriage-Minded, great title, says blind spots can manifest when you complain and make excuses about people or situations. The irony about blind spots is that other people can recognize them right away. As for us, though, they are hidden from our view. In other words, we're, we're blind to our blind spots, but everybody else can pick them out right away. When you're unaware of the behavior and believe the external event is causing the problem, this is a blind spot. Until you uncover these, they will continue to keep you away from your happiness. And here are the warning signs. If you make following statements, these are blind spots. All women are, fill in the blank, all men are filling the blank. Now, here are the, the key blind spots. Everybody listen up. There's no one left to date. Everyone out there is lousy. All men are afraid of commitment. Women just don't get me. There are no good guys to connect with. The dating scene is awful. I really do my best to be out there, but <laughs> it's a meat market. It's a, I'm adding this one. It's a jungle, and Barry's last comment is, it's a bloodbath. Absolutely, Barry. I don't know how many men or women you've met who've said those, but I certainly know enough. It's just the, oh, my God, why bother, or I'll keep bothering, but it's just a slaughter out there. You can't meet anybody. You can't find commitment. Everybody's hiding behind this picture from 10 years ago with these cute little profiles that are nothing like the realistic realism of who they are. You meet them, they're nothing like what you thought, and they're all liars and cheats. So now that I've established the <laughs> help. How do you get people past this pervasive blind spot, Barry? The millions and millions and millions of people that are out there on dating sites, I'm willing to guess at least 50% of them hold those beliefs. Would you say that's an exaggeration or you think it's the truth? 
I think that's definitely the truth. I think it's definitely a pack mentality. But there's an alternative to that. You see, what people don't realize is that they're actually attracting and creating that reality. So when you say there's no more dating, it actually has to do with your own internal belief system that we attract people like that. And it happens over and over and over again. It happened to me. If there were 100 men in the room, I would always energetically choose people <laughs> that would make me feel like there was something wrong with me. And when, in fact, there was nothing wrong with them and there really wasn't anything wrong with me, it's just that I didn't know myself very well. I didn't know the blind spot. So I had an underlying conversation in my head that was actually causing this to happen. So that was the blind spot. Okay, so let's, is, let's get to the bottom of this. How does somebody, we, we are not going to go through the whole Barry Lyman Meet to Marry method tonight on the show. Obviously, we have about 15 minutes <laughs> left. But let's talk about the, the highlights of advice as David gave advice. Let's have you give some really actionable items, Barry, to the audience today and whoever's listening on the podcast, meaning the recording, if you've been living under a rock. Uh, what can people do to set the thing, the wheels in motion to fix the problem. Is it fixable? Do they need to call you? Can they read the book and do it themselves, Barry? Let's start from point A. Well, it's totally fixable, but it's much more helpful to have a coach. So once you read the book, it really gives you hope, and you can see that there's another way to be. So by uh, the first step is really to take a look and say, is it really possible that all men are this way or there's no one available where I live? No, of course it's not possible because there are plenty of people who are meeting and marrying every day and people who have wonderful relationships. So in my case, in my client's cases, just because I wasn't meeting and attracting, did that mean those people didn't exist? No, of course not. So the first step is to say is to take a step back and notice the gap between who you, what's happening and what you actually want. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, that does make and then, sense. And I, I, I want to, I want you to focus just for a moment on blockages. It, I assume a blockage is different from a blind spot. A blockage is something that can keep you from having what you want. So how is you say? Oh, it is the same as a blind spot. Okay, until it's brought to your awareness. Let me read a couple blockages. These are interesting. A blockage is someone who's dating for more than ten years who believes there's no one out there worth dating. A blockage is saying you want to get married but not being in doing any action about it or dating in the wrong places where you're not going to find marriage material. A blockage is limiting your search criteria to superficial things like their looks, their age, their hair, their face. It can limit the possibilities of great matches. Barry, we have to stop at that one because people are attracted to people who are attractive to them. That's a tautology, a circular argument, if you will, or a roundaway reasoning. But if you don't find somebody physically attractive, why would you bother to go out with them and how would you find their other good qualities? If you say, yuck, I just don't find any attraction, but gee, that's a nice person. Why would you continue that? Well, the first thing that has to exist, the very, very first thing is there has to be attraction, but mm -hmm. not chemical attraction, not like how it was when a lot of my clients dated or the way it was for me when I dated. If someone looked at me and they were really attractive and it was chemical, that was it. And then, then you get together and say, oh, all the things that you have in common, you know, mm -hmm. I always joke around, you like sushi, me too, let's get married. Yeah. When you don't even know, <laughs> I need a t we need a T-shirt like that, Barry. That's the anti-Barry Lyman method. You like sushi? Me too. Let's get married. Great T-shirt slogan. <laughs> it really would be. So it's really about knowing yourself and your own emotional needs, and having a clear vision and values and goals. The first step is to know yourself, and the main thing is to know that you only need to meet one person. Just mm -hmm. one person. So if you're in a big city, for example, and you say, oh, there's no more data where I live, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. You just need to have the clarity and the confidence to know what to look for, to say this is who I am and this is what I'm about. And then now, do, you write that in, 
do you write that into your dating profile if you're only dating online, Barry? How do you express, is it an I, 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 me, me, me statement, or is it a are you a sushi lover who likes to hold hands on the boardwalk <laughs> and shares the pen for the New York Sunday Times crossword puzzle and uh, puts children above work and pets above religion or something like that? How do you express it in a dating profile, which is the way I think most of the world finds the love of their life eventually, we hope? How do you do that? I know I fully agree. The distinction here is to share not what you do, but who you are and what you're about. Because interests don't really matter. While my husband loves sailing and I love going to lectures, for example, now I sail with him and he comes to lectures with me. What's most important is to find someone that you're inspired by, whose personality that you like who shares the similar vision for your future. Because really getting married is, you know, soulmates are really goalmates. It's about life building. So it becomes not just am I having a good time with you or do I like you, but it's more about would we make great life partners. And, yes, in a dating profile, absolutely, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this is, and I'm one of the things that's important to know about me is I'm marriage-minded, and this is my mm-hmm. vision, and I'm looking for someone who, you know, and, and there, are, there are many questions that can elicit what someone is about versus what they do, you know, getting away from the, I love, you know, I like sushi, you like sushi thing. Sure. I'm going to tell you a funny scene from, I think it was Fatal Attraction 4. I caught the tail end of that yesterday afternoon. And Renee Russo is pregnant by Mel Gibson's character, Riggs. And right. she is in labor, and she's going to the hospital. And, of course, uh, Danny DeVito is there, and Danny Glover is there. And, and Danny Glover is about to become a grandpa with Chris Rock, his son-in-law, married to his daughter. So there's two babies about to be born. But Renee Russo has told Riggs, along this dangerous path, no, I don't want to get married, no, I don't want to get married. Well, she's in labor. She's in what I call galloping labor. And she screams to everybody, I'm holding my legs together, damn it, don't take me in the delivery room, I'm not going until I'm married. And he comes in, here's the screaming, the bitching, the shrieking, and she says, I want to get married right now. So he says, uh, okay, well, they find a rabbi walking down the hall, and they're not Jewish, and he, they say, come on, come on, hurry up, give us the vows. And and he marries them, at least in name only, in, in the eyes of God, in the hospital corridor. But talk about, Barry, talk about somebody who denied that she, she said, this baby's going to have a name and a, a legal father before he or she is born. And it was, it was, that's literally up to the very last decision point is, I'm not having the baby till you agree to marry me. And she denied it all the way through. So do you think there's such a fear of marriage today, such a fear of failure, such a fear of repeating divorce, whether it's your own, whether it's your parents, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, that people say, oh, marriage, that's not for me. I don't want that. It's it's nothing I want. And secretly they're saying, oh, God, would it be wonderful to get this dating nonsense over and have a permanent relationship. What's your thought about fear of marriage or denial of fear of marriage, Barry? I think there's a lot of fear out there. I think people take their own fears and their past, and they take it from the past and they insert it into the future, and they're terrified, and they put up walls and barriers that actually prevent love from happening for them. So this comes back to uncovering the blind spot to know what your fears are, to be able to become vulnerable and authentic so that there can be a major connection, a lifetime connection, because you can't connect when there are walls up and you don't know. I have people who are divorced a few times, and they say all of, <clears throat> all of these things, how bad, how bad men are or how lousy women are, how afraid they are. But mm-hmm. once, they, once they uncover the blind spot, then they see who they are authentically. And the past is not in, you know, equal to the future. You can create any future that you want. You just have to have the tools to do that. Barry, tell me, should you be friends with your exes? Is that an excuse? I'm talking about ex-husband, ex-wife. Of course, if there are children, you need to have some kind of civil relationship ongoing. And David, don't feel alone. I'm going to bring you in the conversation in a minute, my dear. But Barry, (laughs) if... Okay, I know you're there. Good. Uh, Barry, should you be friends? What's your opinion? I know you have a strong opinion about that. Hang. Oh, well, I've got nothing else to do, and hey, Bobby and I used to have fun going to the movies. So, hey, Bobby, you're not with anybody. I'm not with anybody. Let's hang out and go to the movies, and then you get into this movie rut with Bobby. And 
are you taking time away, valuable time, from looking for a marriage-minded person? Because you know you're never going to hook up with Barry permanently. What's the value of filling in time with an ex, even if it's platonic, versus being alone? Barry? No. So my opinion on that is no. If there are children involved, of course, you need to have, you know, a good relationship with your ex. But no, I say that male, female, there's always you're filling your energy, you're getting your needs met in some way. If you're connected with members of the opposite sex, like exes or relationships that didn't work out, and we need to be completely free and clear, standing on our own, ready to welcome that person that you're looking for. So no, you're actually, actually, in my opinion, the position, your position should be the next person. I don't need more friends because you can mm-hmm. have more female friends, but your position should be that the next person in my life is going to be the hus- my husband or my wife, you know, or the father of my, the parents of my children. And that's a way to really be free. You need to be completely available, not have that's, a clock. That's a very, very innovative point of view I haven't heard before, and that's why I asked you. I like that. David Cartwright, are you married, and how long did it take you to find your wife? You want to share with us a little or not? Your call. Well, I, I was married before, but I'm not married right now. And I'm pretty happy, you know, with things like they are. I was happy at certain times when I was married, and sometimes I wasn't. So uh, it didn't work out for me. But for a lot of people, uh, what I was going to ask Barry was, um, what are some of the things that she has seen or focus on in the books uh, that shows how people are able to stay together? as far as uh, in marriage. Mm, good point. That's that's great, right? So it takes, to be successful in marriage, you need three elements. You need to be conscious. You need to be mature, both parties, mature, generous, and self-aware. And have the attitude of really giving, you know, the generosity part. Because too many people, you know, in our society, they are a little bit selfish, you know, what have you done for me lately, when mm. we understand that we have, we all have a little child inside of us jumping up and down, you know, that wants our needs met, you know, we want to understand our spouse and what, where they're incomplete, where, when they're needy, when they're jumping up and down, and we have a choice to be reactive or to be generous, so when we really love ourselves and we're free and clear of blind spots, then we're in a position to have the integrity and the generosity and the maturity to nurture a marriage because it's only in a marriage where you can really, really grow because who's the person who's going to push your buttons? You know, it's the person that you're with. But having That's that right. person, yeah, so it's it's very powerful. 24 so. hours a day. Good question, David. I have a couple more questions for Barry before we go into wrap-up here, which is in about eight minutes or six minutes. Barry, how many dates do you advise your clients and in the book, how many dates do you advise somebody to go on before they pull the plug on something that is clearly not marriage-focused and clearly just a filler, not a future-oriented relationship? And does your advice apply to women and men of every age? As you get older, do you get desperate and settle? What do you think, Barry? You can answer that in two parts or all together. Okay, so if somebody wants to get married and that's their vision and that's their commitment, mm-hmm. my my belief is you're not looking for a lot of second dates. You're looking for the one. So for me, dating is really a numbers game, and you want to go out on one date, and you really want to find out what that person's about if they're marriage-minded also, mm-hmm. and if the conversation flows and if you're attracted. And if it's not the case, then no, that's it. Just cut. one date, and, cut it off. and it's very okay. Yeah, just just cut it off because there's you meet for coffee and you just see if there's something there, and if there is, then of course, then you can continue dating. I recommend that and having meaningful conversations. But if not, no. And how many time? How many people should you date at the same time? How busy should? Because I know there are all kinds of philosophies about a woman should be dating three men at the same time, and not for competition, but just so that she's she's currently out there and seeing what sticks, basically. So I don't have rules about that. I'm, it's more about principles. I believe that since dating is a numbers game, you want to really be out there and making a goal for yourself each week to have exciting things to look forward to. Because each person that you meet is a potential spouse. 
So it's very exciting to know that if this wrong, you meet this wrong person, but they bring you closer and you've had a nice coffee date. So it's really up to the individual. And until you find that you've met someone where there's caring and commitment, then just keep keep dating. And when it's right, the beautiful thing is when you meet that right person, the feeling is going to be, where have you been my whole life? Because everything uh-huh. is going to align. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the person Barry, won't be perfect, but he'll be perfect, or she will be perfect for you. One more question before we we go to close pretty soon here. How many phone conversations should you have before you have that first face to face date if you meet online? So meeting online, you there. I don't have a hard and fast rule. I at least mm-hmm. one phone conversation to make sure that things that the conversation flows and you're on the same frequency, and that, you know, it goes, then you meet for coffee. I don't have rules about that. I mean, if someone's okay. long distance, then, of course, you should keep getting to know each other. Of course. And what's your thought about how current should the picture be? Because we know that tradition, the, the, the joke is, my God, that was one of her bar mitzvah <laughs> picture when she's 50, so, or he's 50. So how how honest should you be? We all know the answer is completely, but if you're you look better five years ago, how much, how much give can you give in your – how much leeway is there in terms of what you promote for your, your reality check picture? Barry? Your picture should be current. It should be okay. completely current, and it should represent you. It should represent your personality, the best picture that you can get, and I recommend professional pictures. So okay. So that you well, can. also we know with iPads and good good Retina quality cameras that you can do have somebody do an amazing job with a, a digital uh, device today without going professional. But they certainly need to know how to pose you when in the right light. I've seen pictures of people that were done in shadows with a cap pulled down over the man's head. Where you see him in in person, it's like was that what was under the cap? <laughs> no no recognition. What is that you? Yeah, that was me under the show. Okay, that's really nice. Very quickly, vision board. How do you believe in your meet to marry dream board? Give me a, a one minute answer and then we have to start wrapping. You need to imagine in your mind how you want your future life to be. Imagine what it'll feel like to be with your future ideal partner. And so once it's in your mind, it's thought, speech and action. So after you visioned it, then you put it down on a vision board, images, slogans, how you want it to be your future. Because it's not just about getting married, it's about being married. And so when you see that vision board every day, it inspires you. And science shows that things actually change by looking at that board. It's so motivating and beautiful so that when you actually meet that person, you'll know it. And and, and I, I notice here you say tool. never marry potential. So I'm going to let people buy your book and figure that out. I'm going to give you a website <laughs> now. It's Meet to Marry. There's a couple of T's, a couple of M's, a couple of R's in there. I'll spell it M-E-E-T, T-O-M-A-R-R-Y. That's Meet to Marry, M-E-E-T-T-O-M-A-R-R-Y.com, the lovely Barry Lyman. Barry, thank you. Quickly, tell me what's next for Barry. So in a few weeks we're having a, a an educational webinar called Three Summer Love Essentials for Meeting and Marrying This Year, and that's at meettomarry.com slash three essentials. And okay. And your listeners, yep, and also on the website, there's the Meet to Marry Manifesto, Seven Mistakes When Dating to Marry and How to Avoid Them, and that's at meettomarry.com. And Very I think cool. your listeners will enjoy that, yep. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate your time. And David G. Cartwright, Achiever Fever. We already gave your website, Achiever Fever. I'll spell it one more time, A-C-H-I-E-V-E-R-F-E-V-E-R.com. David, what's next for you, my friend? Well, what I'm trying to do now is is go across America, and I want to be touching bases with the school systems, trying to Ah. focus on getting the middle school and the high school students, uh, change their mentality a little bit, get them more focused on the important things in life, and, and try to give them a a big boost out there. This book is for everyone at all stages of life. You know, everyone is looking for a little change in one area or another. And I feel confident if they get a copy of the book, they open it daily, keep it visible in a a handy place, they will catch the fever and become achievers. Beautiful. I love it. And I'm counting down. i got 12 seconds to go till I start the music. And Barry and David, you know what your job is right now. You're going to take a deep breath, and we're going to do a big moi kiss. Here comes the music. And we're going to send a wish for everybody to make a change. Here we go. Make a change in your life. 
something that's really near and dear to you, define it, figure it out, have steps to success, get motivated and inspired, and do what you have to do to make those changes and take it seriously. So, Barry, David, let's take that deep breath and let's send out that deep hug for success and achievement and happiness and love. Here we go. I won this time. I don't usually win. Thank you, the lovely Barry Lyman, B-A-R-I-L-Y-M-A-N, Meet to Mary, M-E-E-T-T-O-M-A-R-Y.com, and the handsome David G. Cartwright, Achiever Fever, A-C-H-I-E-V-E-R-F-E-V-E-R.com. You're both a wonderful guest. Thanks for sharing your stories, your expertise, your passion, most of all. And greetings to everybody I met at the National Publicity Summit. You're all, you all know your dates on the show for the next couple months. We're booked through November. Woohoo! I'm Bonnie D. Graham. The short redhead in both ways this week. I'll talk to you next week right here on Read My Lips. I love you. There we go. Bye bye. Thank you, bye.